know, I've been reading this book. It's called Smart Cuts. And um, it's about these it's, it's about these high-tech guys or political guys that somehow, some way, they've figured out a way to jump ahead and take a shortcut in becoming successful. And successful not just financially, but in whatever that they're doing, whether it's a company or an app or something that, that really has transformed. It's been transformative. And uh, he wrote about just how different people have taken these smart cuts to jump ahead in their career. And as I was reading that, I was thinking about us as well, and just, just, just our spiritual lives. I've been a Christian for over 25 years, and there are things that I've been married for 23 years, and there are things in, in my life that I feel like, man, it just seems like I've been working on this for such a long, long time. And it's almost like I'm working on this graph, and I'm making incremental changes which is good on a graph, but what would it be like if we totally shift the graph instead of just making incremental changes, but actually make a shift and overcome some of these things? Um, and is that possible? And of course it is, you know, by faith. But that's what the book is talking about, and it's a good book. I mean, don't go out and buy it or anything like that. You can kind of get a some synopsis, and, and uh, it's good enough. It's like 20 bucks. But, um, but it has a good point about really making that jump. And I want to ask you a question today. Do you feel stuck in your faith? You know, I just came from the marriage ministry, uh, stayed there yesterday, came back last night, and, and that's what we were talking about. It's just, you know, it's like, man, how do we unstuck ourselves? How do we really grow? And how do we really make a leap like never before? And it's not as difficult as we think. Okay. Now, you know, we live in a very technologically advanced world where information is just free-flowing. Anybody with a connection and a smartphone can actually be pretty smart. I mean, you can just Google stuff, and you really don't need to memorize things anymore. So really, the high-tech jobs and the big money comes from people that can actually figure things out, not just memorization, but actually figure things out, how to find solution to problems. That's where really the growth uh, is, if, if you're thinking about a career and stuff like that, is to, to not just memorization, but to really figure out how to solve things. You know, the Bible says this, it says these things, these things happen to them as an example and were written down as a warning for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think that you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. We're going to make a little transition here. Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and he says, listen, you read the Old Testament, all the information that's in there, what is it for? It's actually for us to learn from them so that we ourselves, that we don't fall. You know, it's funny, because in that book before, Smart Cuts, he made a point about how people learn from mistakes. And he said that actually people don't learn from their own mistakes. Because the natural tendency for us is that when we make mistakes, what do we do when we make a mistake? We also make excuses, right? So when we make a mistake, what we do is that we go, man, you know, it's, uh, it's, the, it's the environment. It's my parents. All right? It's the situation. Or it's bad luck. It's bad timing. They've actually done studies where they... they they got all these CEOs together, and uh, they're really smart CEOs. 
that have ran companies that failed, and invariably they would blame it on something else. So what's the point? The point is that this is where we learn from. We learn from other people's mistakes. Because of our nature, we're a little bit more easy on ourselves, but we're a little bit harder on the other guy. Because when we see the other guy make a mistake, we don't make excuses for them. We tend to see that their mistakes is from their lack of skills or their mistakes or, or their lack of, of, of uh, whatever. So we tend not to make excuses for them. But whatever the case may be, the Bible teaches us to learn from the mistakes that people have made in the past. And today that's all we're going to be doing is we're going to learn from this mistake of, of the first king of Israel, and that's King Saul. The Bible says that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it as well. So God says he's, he's not going to let you be in a situation where you can't escape. He will let you be in a situation where it's tough, but he will also provide uh, ways for you to escape as well. And how do we do that? We learn from the past. We learn from the Word of God. You know, in the marriage ministry, we talked about, you know, you and me forever, and there's a new trend in marriage counseling these days, and that it's not just that when you focus on yourself, right? That's what they say. When you get married, focus on yourself. Don't care about anybody else. But actually, that is the worst way to inculcate a great marriage. And hence, this book and many other books, is, or many books are coming out in terms of just you've got to have something that you're living for, even as a married couple. That's greater than yourself. Because if you focus on yourself, even though you are incredibly lucky to marry someone phenomenal or, or interesting, but through time, the most interesting people will, be, will bore you. And you're going to lose that. I read Bill Clinton's book, and um, it's entitled My Life, when he came out with it. And I, I, I didn't know that there were two parts of his life. I read through the first part, and I was like, man, he's not winding it down. I mean, he's like, keep going on the first book. And then at the end of the book, he says, and for my next, you know, chapter of my life, buy my next book. And I thought to myself, I said, nobody is that interesting. I am not going to buy the next book. Nobody, even though he lives such a great life, nobody is that interesting. Only God is interesting. I'm not kidding. I read through the whole book and said, I'm done. I'm done with you, Bill. You know? But it's the same thing. That's why you see a lot of people that are super attractive, super successful, you think about it, you go, man, they're the perfect couple and all that stuff. And years, you know, not too many years later, they break up. Well, what about us? And this is the singles group, right? As Aria said, sprinkled with some married uh, people. You and I forever is not just about the marriage relationship, but it's really about you and me, God, forever. You and me, God, how do we make this relationship forever? In the book of Proverbs, it says, Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. You know, a faithful person who, who can find. You know, even in marriages, we, we talk about just not, not just infidelity in terms of the actual action, but at the beginning level. What about the thoughts? What about, what about emotional infidelity? 
you know, the book of Proverbs is nothing new. He says, listen, you know, it's like a lot of people claim to have unfailing love. I'm going to be with you forever. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to make it all the way to the end. But really, when the rubber hits the road, a faithful man who can find. You know, will we be here next year? Will we be here two years from now, ten years from now? Are we still going to be faithful to God? And how do we keep that relationship, you and me forever, God, to the end? We're going to learn from a guy that was the first king in Israel. And although he did do some great things, we're going to see a progression just from a few chapters in the Bible on how he allowed his heart to stray from God to a point where he left to God. You know, faithfulness in the light of eternity. And I only have one point today. In Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, um, Deuteronomy, the word means a repeating of the law. You know, God gave the Israelite people uh, some commands on how to set up their country. And the Bible says this, this is when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you the king, uh, a king the Lord your God chooses. You see, the people of Israel, they were organizing themselves, and God says, listen, when you need a king, and you're going to need one, there is a time when you're going to need one, I need you to do this. I need you to pick a guy that I am choosing myself. And here is the criteria, among others, that uh, he gave. He says, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priest. What is one of the main requirements that God wants of this king? That he himself knows the word of God to a point where he is command, commanded to do what? To write every word of it and to know God's word. That is one of the main requirements to be a king of Israel, to know God's word. You know, like I said before, we live in a pretty exciting time, don't you think? You know, they're building bridges, they're building Fast train, you know, uh, China is having a project in South America where they're going to connect the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean in a fast-speed railroad. Isn't that exciting? We live in a pretty exciting time. Information is being flown all over the place. And we're getting a lot of information from different places. But let me ask you this. Are we having a conviction like what Ariel was talking about in terms of really having deep conviction, particularly about the Word of God? about the Word of God. How deep are we? How rooted are we in God's Word? When you see stuff outside, when you read a book, when you hear an opinion, when you hear someone preach the Word, can you go back and reference that to the Word of God and say, nah, I think that one's a little bit off. I think that one is a good point, but mm, that one is not the Word of God. Do we have that reference point that the Bible says in Deuteronomy, that is demanded of the king of Israel. He must write, uh, when he sits on his throne, he must write for himself on a scroll a copy of the law of God. One point today, that's it. Do you know God's word? Do we know God's word? Are we a people of God's word? You know, faithful to God's word. That's the only point we have today.
After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Well, what a great epithet that is, right? When I die, I would love to have God say that about me. Man, Ken, he was a man after my own heart. He, he feels what I feel. He loves what I love. He hates what I hate. And he has my passion and my heart. And I hope to have that said about me. I mean, you know, I really want that. Rather than the first one, the Bible says that God removed Saul, physically removed him from his throne. So what happened to Saul? What happened to Saul? That, that he was the first king of Israel, that he was going to write God's word, word for word, And yet the Bible says that God had to remove him from the throne and installed someone else. You know, we're going to go back to the book of Samuel. Uh, Please turn your Bible there. 1 Samuel chapter 8. I know that a lot of times I use PowerPoints and it's a convenient thing to do and we can focus on it together, but there's something about opening up our Bibles together. Amen? Amen? When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his first one was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gains and accepted bribes and perverted justice. You know, here we see what is going on with the nation of Israel. Thus far, they've been led by these people called judges. These were the spiritual leader of Israel. And as Samuel was getting older... What was the need of the hour? Like Aria said, the need of the hour is to raise up a next generation of people that were going to take care of Israel. But there was a breakdown in that transition in that Samuel had the conviction, but Abijah and uh, Joel, even though they had the position, they didn't have the, the spiritual authority. And look what happened next. So all the, lead, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to us just as all the other nations have. So they said, look, there's, there's really a vacuum in leadership. Samuel, you're, you're great, but you're going to die. And your son, who's really next in throne, they're really not good guys. And we need to do something else. We need to figure out another way of organizing ourselves. And look what happened. We already know earlier that God did say in Deuteronomy, what did God say? God said, look, you need to get a king. Down the road, you're going to have to transition over to a king. But when the elders came in 1 Samuel 8 and asked for a king, look what happened. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to God. You would think that Samuel was like, great. You know, he knew his Bible. Deuteronomy said, this is it. This is the time. But the Bible actually says that he was displeased that the people were asking for a king at this point. What's the problem? Whoa, that's the problem. The problem, the problem is that it's not the fact that they ask. I know what you're thinking. I'm thinking the same thing. 
how's my laptop? But then I'm going to move on. <laughs> but, but what's the problem? The problem is the way that they've asked. You know, God is in, in his love for us. He's figured out how do we organize ourselves. He gives us his word. But the way that they asked was a problem to God. That they put all of their hopes and dream in this earthly king. And instead of really getting the heart of it and just in terms of like, well, this is the way that we organize ourselves, they put all their hopes in this guy. We do exactly the same thing. Don't we? Every election season comes around. There's so much like enthusiasm and there's so much hope for this guy and that girl and that woman. She's going to change this country. She, he's going to really revamp and everybody's crying, you know, at these conventions. And invariably, years later, a lot of people are disappointed. Oh, well. You know, and then a lot of cynicism, cynicism sets in. Not much has changed. Look, look, how, look, how, look, look at how God feels. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. You know, we're here and we organize ourselves. We meet Sunday morning at 1030. That's what we do, right? That's how we meet together. We meet on Wednesday night or, or on Friday night as midweek and, you know, trying to live up to that scripture that area read earlier about, you know, they met together every day in temple courts. And, you know, that's what we do. We're in the 2015. We're trying to live out what God called us to do in the Bible, in our generation. We're trying to be faithful to God's word. Okay, All those things that we do. But at the end of it, it's not just these functions that we have that keeps us in our relationship with God. It's our own personal relationship with God that God says, listen, these people rejected me. They want this system. They want this organization to substitute for what's really the power, the true power in their lives. That's a personal relationship with me. That's a personal relationship with my word. You know, in the West, we've gone through quite a bit of transition. We have. And we've seen leaders come. We've seen leaders fall. We've seen really some unfaithful things in the West. And I know some of us are probably asking ourselves, what's really going on? Well, what's really going on is that Scripture is living out that people are imperfect. And to put ultimate trust in people is the greatest downfall that we can have as a disciple. The church is given here, as imperfect as it is, God still calls it the panoply of God's wisdom. How could that be? All the mistakes that are made, all the, all the faults that we've seen, it teaches us ultimately to rely not on a system or a person, but on God himself. I think some of us, we've really put our bets in the wrong place. And you think that you're going to find a great this way to organize, that way to organize. Even that system, whatever that system that we come up with, it's going to get old because time changes. We get older. It never, it never ceases to amaze me 
How much hope do we put in people while God says, listen, I'm telling you, they're going to let you down. They're going to let you down. We're getting older now. You know, when I first became a Christian in 1988, in our church, in our movement, we were really proud of the fact that, hey, look, there are no divorces in our church. Right? And part of that is because we were younger as a movement. Now that we're older, things happen. You know, we're trying to figure out how to handle, you know, some of the situations that are in our midst and really learn from them as well. I'll tell you this, guys. It's our own walk with God. I think people are figuring that out. It's not just, man, I, I, I hope to marry this gal or this guy that's going to really complete me and carry me. You know, it's there to help, just like the church. But at the end of the day, we stand before God alone, one-on-one. How strong is our word, our knowledge of the word? That's why I love Chris. He's, he's a young Christian. He's only been around for like three, three years, less than three years. Two years, right? So pretty deep stuff for a two-year-old Christian, don't you think? I want to challenge you. You can start now. Don't wait until the year ends. You know, figure out a way to really get into the Word in a deep way. Don't, don't rely on just pithy little statements, you know, once a, you know, once a day. You know, get into the Word. Buy a commentary, whether electronically or, you know, I used to have this set of, of commentaries. Like, you have to lug around everywhere we moved. It was like, oh, I mean, it got mildewy, you know, <laughs> because of just the different places. But I tell you, those commentaries are my treasured possession because you, you got to check it out. What does the Word say? We're people rooted in God's Word. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. You know, God says what? God says, listen, I mean, people inherently are unfaithful. Where do we get that power to have deep conviction? God's Word. Where do we get the power to really make changes in our lives? God's Word. How do we... You know, how do we, how do we smart um, cut some of these things that we're going through? God's Word. There's something about trusting God's Word. You don't know all of it. You don't know all the facet of it. But, man, I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling that way. Get into God's Word. I'm thinking this. I'm thinking that. Get into God's Word. It is really the ultimate smart cut that there is. God created life. He knows how we should live it. And God says, listen. He says, listen. Be faithful. So what happened was that God said this, and this is a really tough scripture. He gives Samuel to give Saul this command. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. A lot of people, myself included, have a hard time with this scripture. We live in 2015, and this scripture seems a little bit cruel in my modern perspective. And if I just take that scripture out of context, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 3, by itself, without knowing the context and knowing who God is, this is a really cruel scripture. And it does not represent who God is. And if you only take one chapter out of a person's life 
and one, one day out of a person's life, and you make that whole judgment on it, chances are your judgment's going to be off. And here lies the danger of not knowing God's Word. Or knowing God's Word at a minimum and thinking that we know God's Word. That's even worse. You know, God says, listen, I need you to destroy all of them. Wipe them out. And a lot of people use this scripture as something, you know, I was, I was reading a, a book on this guy, and, and, and he was writing all this stuff on God, and somebody actually asked him, he says, have you ever read the whole Bible? And the answer, he was a little bit begrudgingly confessed to it, says, I don't, I've, I've never read the whole Bible. You see, to know somebody is to take the time to dig through the scripture. I want to encourage you, if there's anything I want you to do today, one point, Get deeper in the Word of God. Ask people, what kind of Bible should I read? What kind of commentary should I, I, you know, I think a lot of times we depend way too much on other people's interpretation of the Bible. We buy a book and we, you know, we go from book to book. Books are great. But there's nothing like going back to what the Bible calls pure spiritual milk. And we argue back and forth about this opinion and that opinion. Let's go back to the Word. That's why we're here. Amen? But Saul and the army spared Agad and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. They picked and choose to obey God's Word. They picked and choose. They, they obeyed the easy part, but the best part... They kept for themselves. And either they, they just ignored it or they just completely picked and choose. And that's what happened to Saul. And was the beginning of his downfall. Picking and choosing what we believe. Picking and choosing what we choose to believe and what we choose to obey. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I've made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. When Samuel reached out, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instruction. But Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of the cattle that I hear? It's amazing to me how religious we can be, right? He sees Samuel's, Samuel coming, and he was so excited. He reached out, you know, Samuel reached out to him, and you know, he uses, you know, the Lord blessed you. I have carried out the Lord's instruction, and yet he was so far from obeying God's word. And Samuel, just by this time, he was just enough. He says, what is the lowing of the cattle? What is the bleeding of the sheep that I hear? What are these things? Samuel's calling out Saul and says, listen, Saul, your life and your words does not match. It doesn't match. He says, I come to your house and I see these things, the things you watch, the things you listen to. It doesn't match what you say to me. We have to be careful. There's much, too much struggling with pornography. There's much, it's, it's too easy for us to, to brush it off and, and to manage our sin. 
It's too easy. It's too easy for us to say, well, I've only done that just a little bit. It's too easy for us to, you know, in, in our, our marriage, to put up with each other and in our relationship with one another to put up with each other's sins. I think we have to learn, well, I don't want to be harsh. Well, learn, let's learn how to speak the truth in love. It doesn't call us to, to go away. You know, Sam, I don't think he likes his job very much. I think Samuel was like, I'm ready to retire. My sons are letting me down. I want a king too. But he still had to do his job for the sake of Israel. Saul answered, the soldiers brought them here from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. What did Saul do? Another aspect of him. He was religious. And he blamed other people. He was the leader. And yet he said, but these people are the ones that are making me struggle. You see what God is doing? He says, listen, it's not about the people. It's about you and me forever. It's your relationship with me. Let me close on out. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as much as it is as is in obeying the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. As we close on out, you know, Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the whole word of the Lord and even consulted in a medium for guidance and did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David son of Jesse. It is a little bit, you know, I hate to end out in that way. Right? But it is sobering. It is sobering. You know, we're called to be faithful to God. We're called to obey everything that God writes us in His Word. I want to challenge us today. As we move into the summer months, that's what we're going to be focusing on. Getting back into the Word calling each other into the Word and really calling each other to live by God's standard with grace and love but with an unyielding standard of, of God's Word and, 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 and we're going after it, guys. It's been a long time since we've held that standard. I'll be honest. We're a great group. We're an amazing, talented, awesome group of people. Let's get sharpened. Let's sharpen one another. Let's make this the summer that we're going to really make some headways and be the church that God wants us to be. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you. Uh, God, we learn from other people's mistakes like King Saul. Uh, God, help us to not have his heart. God, help us to be open about our lives. Help us to be pure, God, before you. Help us to have the courage and the love to be honest, to take responsibility. Help us to really be faithful, to fight, and God, to be faithful to the end. God, thanks so much for this, this, this body that you give us. God, to help each other. Help us to call on one another, to spur one another on. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand on up as we close out in song.